0: Good morning and welcome to Crime Over Coffee. I'm your editor, Bryce.
1: And I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Part of our mini Monday series will include episodes about fugitives on the FBI Most Wanted list.
0: Dun dun dun.
1: The FBI created the FBI Most Wanted list in March of 1950. This list features fugitives who are considered a risk to society. The goal of this list is to raise public awareness about certain cases which could lead to the capture of these high risk fugitives. This week, I will be covering Jason Derrick Brown and the crimes and reasons he has made the FBI's most wanted list.
0: So pour yourself a strong cup of joe, and let's dive in.
1: The FBI's Most Wanted list is created by a committee that surveys the most dangerous crimes in the period of time that a criminal has spent evading arrest. FBI field offices submit one or more candidates to fill the vacancies in the top 10, and they must fit a certain criteria. One, is this person a serious danger to society? Are they violent, armed, or have a history of serious criminal behavior? Two, would the publicity offered by the list provide a much better chance of catching this person? The list is intended to provide tremendous publicity to aid in catching a fugitive who might otherwise remain obscure and unrecognizable. Jason Derrick Brown was born on July 1, 1969 in Los Angeles, California. He was known as a cunning man and he was fairly intelligent with a master's degree in international business and he was also fluent in French. Jason has always been a charismatic person, and he had a taste for the high
2: quality of life, even though he didn't necessarily have the money for it. That kind of reminds me of Scott Robin Rostin in the Karen Waltz case.
0: Which in his case, he was just pretending, right?
1: Yeah, in this case, Jason actually racked up thousands of dollars in debt and defaulted on vehicles. We'll talk a little bit more about the kind of vehicles he had, and you'll get a sense of what he was trying to look like. Jason was originally very active in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he spent two years on a Mormon mission trip in France, where I assume he perfected his second language.
2: Yeah, it's really popular for Mormons to go to another country and serve a mission, and really most Mormons do know a second language because of those missions, which is kind of cool to me that you get to live in a situation where you can learn that second language like it's just a good thing to have I think
1: oh that's awesome I didn't actually know that it was common for Mormons to go
2: study in other countries yeah I listened to another podcast that a family does and they're Mormons and they talk about the missions that they did and the dad and it went and learned Spanish that way that's awesome So Jason's life
1: was going all right until it took a turn in 1994 when his father abruptly, I guess, told his family to sell everything and that he was going to take off. And on September 1st in that year, he
2: left and told his family he was never coming back and held to it. Yeah, that's really sad that their dad just decided to like up and leave them.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure
2: why he did.
1: It's very random, I I guess it probably does happen a lot. So Jason would have been in his 20s when this happened. And I guess it impacted him greatly. Because from this time on, you could see a shift in him. He stopped attending church and he started diving into, I guess you would call like a playboy lifestyle. He was out partying a lot doing drugs drinking and he had been married and actually left his wife and was divulging in women as well. And moved around frequently.
0: And this is all his psychological response to his dad leaving?
1: That was my impression of it.
0: That caused basically this massive downward spiral. It must have affected him a lot.
1: Yeah, it seems like it. From all accounts, he was doing well, got a master's, and was doing well for himself, and then just lost it. After this, he created two businesses, quote-unquote, that he operated out of his home, and they were both scams. And authorities believe that he was deep in check and bank fraud, and he started to find income by stealing stuff. I found in one account, he went to like a driving range and tried to steal some golf clubs by
2: like sticking them in his pants or something, which he ended up getting caught for. Shocker. I don't think that golf clubs will fit in your pants very inconspicuously
1: yeah I'm gonna go ahead and guess that he was probably under the influence of something when he thought this plan might work out. but as I said earlier, he acquired a huge sum of debt and he had no desire to make an honest living to try to pay it back. He was just on a downward spiral on November 29, 2004, Jason made his way to an AMC theater in Awatuke uh, was a is a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. He had purchased a Glock semi automatic forty five caliber pistol a couple days prior and took some lessons in how to use that.
0: This doesn't sound good.
1: No, and you know, I've worked at a movie theater and guns are not welcome there.
0: I just suddenly had the realization we've all worked at movie theaters. Oh we yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I actually worked at an AMC.
0: Yeah, and at least recently a lot of the security got pretty darn tight within the last five to seven years, I'd say. and I'm sure it's because of stories like this, what we're about to hear.
1: Oh yeah, I I worked at an AMC theater and on Fridays and Saturday nights, we actually had an officer in the theater the entire night with us. So Jason had been monitoring this theater for weeks and took note of when an armored car would come to pick up the deposit and the money from there and Big theaters can make quite a bit of money. And in this case, the day he went, the guards were picking up deposits from that Thanksgiving day, which holidays are big days at theaters. Absolutely.
0: Did it? Did, did you ever read why he happened to choose a movie theater or this movie theater?
1: I'm not sure. I'm guessing, in my opinion, a movie theater is probably a better bet on getting away with the money than like a bank or something. Yeah. And I assume it just. I think it was just probably by where he was staying and he was like, Hey, I'm going to do this.
0: And I guess a lot of people don't really think of a movie theater as a place to really put high security on and really anticipate robberies and stuff like this. So, and then right after a holiday, I guess it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, and in the case of this, two guards came to pick up the deposit, but one just walks in. They do wear a vest, but it unfortunately didn't help this guard when he was walking out. Jason shot him five times in the head And he ended up being pronounced dead at the hospital shortly after.
0: The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15.
2: They didn't pronounce him dead on the scene. He was able to make it to the hospital still alive.
1: That's what it said. I'm, I'm guessing somehow he made it there. or I feel like he would have been pronounced dead at the scene if he had been.
0: Five bullets to the brain. That's pretty serious.
1: Yeah. If he did make it to the hospital, I that's insane.
0: There was there were two guards, right? The other one was still yeah. in the car or the vehicle.
1: The guard who passed away's name was Keith Palarmes, and he was 24 at the time of his death. So after this, Jason took the bag of money from Palarmes, and it totaled about $56,000. That is so much cash to be in one movie theater. Jason fled on a mountain bike, which he had stashed nearby the theater. It was actually later found, and it had his fingerprint on it, which is how they identified who it was, because they had him on file from trying to steal the golf clubs earlier.
0: So you had mentioned that there were two guards, right? Was the other one just not aware of what was going on? Or because he pulls out a gun and shoots him five times and then steals a bag and then gets on a bike. The other guard just wasn't aware, didn't respond quickly enough?
1: I guess I didn't see anything about the other guard, except for that he was in the car. So I don't know how he missed it, or if by the time he registered what was happening, he just didn't get there in time.
0: I imagine, uh, because most of the time they're pretty armored vehicles, bulletproof in most senses. So it's possible that if it's bulletproof, it's also probably soundproof. So it's possible he just didn't hear it, or if he did hear it, it's pretty quiet, You know, at whatever distance they were from and through the vehicle.
1: I do know that it was likely he was staking out the movie theater weeks previous to it. So he knew what time they were going to show up. And I'm pretty sure he was hiding in like bushes. So I think it all just happened very fast. And he had a bike sash close by and he was able to just do it and run. So I think I, I would guess he just wasn't able to either see what was happening or get there quick enough to do anything about it. It probably all happened in a matter of seconds.
2: Well, and as sad as it is that there was a victim, I mean, on the bright side, at least there was only one victim because we see so many shootings that there's 10, 20, hundreds of victims nowadays.
1: Yeah, Jason was definitely going there strictly for the money, not for like a mass shooting. He He knew what he wanted. So after he escaped on his mountain bike, he ditched it, like I said, and he drove to Henderson, Nevada in his BMW 280, where he deposited 2000 of the dollars in his bank account, and then drove to Vegas, where he switched to a black Cadillac Escalade. And he had been keeping that in a storage unit, I guess he had already owned it. And this goes more into I think he was just planning all this. So, was his plan from the beginning, do you think, just to go on the run? I think it had to have been. It was premeditated enough that he had an escape plan, but not enough to like wipe down the bike, I guess, because his fingerprints were on it. So, I think it was just kind of poorly planned in a way.
0: It's possible he wasn't all that worried about evidence pointing to him if he really was just wanting to go completely on the run, possibly out of country, even because, you know, even buying a gun, all that stuff is registered. And you know, down to the ammunition you use sometimes, just depending on how you go about getting your gun, especially if he was going through classes. He probably didn't just find something on the black market and stuff like that. So it's possible he wasn't too concerned with it and was just more interested in getting something done quickly so he could leave and go as far away as he wanted and just have that money.
1: My interpretation was that he was probably like, because he was so smart, he was trying to figure this out, but he was also on drugs, so maybe that was like clouding as good a judgment as he could have had.
2: Well, my thing is, I mean, maybe his goal was to get as far away as he wanted or as as he could, but it was after 2001 and airplanes and like airports and airplanes were so strict at this point with security that if this guy was on police lookout, like he went to Vegas first. So they had time probably. So how would he have been able to fly out of the country and like get away or where did he go?
0: Maybe his plan was just to leave the state, you know, maybe just go across the country and just get far away.
2: Which
1: he did end up leaving the state and ends up at his sister's house in Rancho Santa Margarita in California. And I guess he had been bumping around and staying with friends and family and I guess they just didn't know it was him quite yet because on December 6, 2004, he received a phone call while he was at his sister's and quickly packed up and took off. And that was when the FBI announced his name and released a photo of him connecting him to the crime.
0: So not to downplay any part of what happened, but in essence, this is just one robbery and and one murder. And that was enough to land him on America's Most Wanted, which it's still he's still on it, correct?
1: Yeah, he's on it, and the thing I've learned a lot about looking into these FBI Most Wanted lists is surprisingly, and this is why I thought as well, it's not necessarily about like a body count or the severity of the crimes necessarily. It's a combination of factors that go together, and it had to do with his, I think, intellect and ability to run, and they really thought, because no one really knew this guy and it was a small enough crime, that it would benefit them to publicize it.
0: Because it's a lot more to do with how dangerous he is to society as a whole versus what he's already done, correct?
1: Absolutely. It definitely is big on what kind of danger they pose to society. And he is clearly willing to murder someone to financially gain himself. And I think that's what makes him such a threat. So about a month later, they found his Cadillac in a parking lot at the Portland International Airport, which I don't know if that means he flew out or if he just parked his car there as like some type of misleading step, maybe. But that is the last confirmed evidence found of him.
0: Because At this point, they had identified him. And if he was trying to fly anywhere internationally, he would need a passport, which obviously has his identity on it. So either he'd have to have some way of faking a passport or um does the does the international flights do they also go places in country as well or though is that designed for just trips out of the country
1: pretty sure an international airport you can fly out both ways so
0: it's just an airport big enough to also have those flights
1: yeah i guess maybe he just somehow had a fake passport and id that was good enough to get through if he did
2: fly, would be my guess. Because even if he was just flying in state, he'd still need his ID. He wouldn't need his passport, and they would have been able to track that.
0: So if he's capable of producing some sort of fake ID, and he is as smart enough as as everything says he is, he may as well have just gone all the way and just done a fake passport. So he's probably just not in the country anymore, would be my guess.
1: Yeah, well, interestingly, four years later, in August of 2008... An old friend of his said they saw him at a stoplight near a zoo in Salt Lake City. It says confirmed sighting, but I know that they said that he'd been staying with friends and family after the crime. So I almost like wondered if this sighting is reliable or if the old friend maybe said something to get them off his track or something.
0: So you think it's possible that while he was staying with some of these friends or family that maybe... He had explained it to them and kind of got them on his team in a sense. So that way he could make a safe exit and they're sort of covering for him.
2: I mean, he had plenty of money. He could have just paid off friends or family.
1: Possibly. And actually his brother, his name was David John Brown the Second. He was arrested in 2005 and pled guilty to lying to the FBI during all this because it was believed that he helped Jason escape and he actually possibly drove Jason's BMW and cleaned it out and washed it out and he pled guilty to lying to the FBI like I said and was sentenced to 3 years probation for it.
0: Well, there you have it everyone. Sounds like his friends and family are lying for him and he's probably just out of country.
1: That I guess that was my thought and it it, it seemed like he had All these people on his side covering for him. I don't even know how to respond to that because that's a messy situation.
0: Yeah. And is $50,000 really enough to justify leaving the country and trying to build a new life? Because in the grand scheme of everything, that's really not a whole lot.
1: I guess it would depend on what country you go to. And some of them, it would would take him a long way. And I assume it would probably be a French-speaking country wherever he went.
0: And after paying off all those people and all the flights and all those other vehicles that he was buying for whatever purposes, he probably doesn't have a whole lot left. So,
2: Do you know if the people on the FBI's most wanted list, does that end up going internationally?
1: I do know that they operate in many other countries. I would assume that they hear about maybe our news and criminals like we would theirs if we are on the right stations and looking into it. What do you think, Bryce?
0: I do know that there are some countries that to criminals would be considered a type of safe haven because they're just out of the reach of the U.S. government. They can't do anything there just because of the laws that they have set in place. And I think maybe the Philippines would be one of those, but somewhere that um, if you committed you know, bad enough crimes and you just needed somewhere to go, you could go to one of these countries. And that's possible that he just went there if he was really concerned about it, because at this point he knew that they knew his identity. So if he was going to go anywhere and be any sort of successful with this money, it would almost have to be somewhere that the FBI would not be around or have any access to.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you could easily find a location that just has nothing to do with the United States to live out your life and kind of stay under the
2: radar. I do like your point, though, about the fact that he could speak French. It would make sense for him to go somewhere that he could speak French.
1: Yeah, so over the years, there's been over like 200 reported sightings of Jason. Whether or not those pan out, I'm not sure. They obviously didn't lead to an arrest. So I don't know how many of them are actual sightings of him or mistakes or just false leads trying to get the reward for it. But
0: what's the reward?
1: The reward for a tip that would lead to his arrest is up to $200,000.
0: I'm interested. (laughs) Let's go to France.
2: Well, to me, that kind of makes you wonder if the friends and family that he did pay off, like if he had paid them off, then wouldn't they want to turn him in for that $200,000? Also,
1: piggybacking off that, remember that old friend that reported a sighting of him? I wonder if he got any reward for that sighting, like reporting that.
0: Because if they care so much about money that they would, you know, lie to the American government just for a family member... I'm sure $200,000 will speak a lot more to them than just whatever extra cash he could hand to them. So at this point, if the reward is that high, then it starts to make me wonder, like, were they really paid off? And if any of those sightings do mean anything.
1: I agree. And that is assuming that he paid off his family. We don't know that he did that. It's possible. It's possible. They just wanted to cover up for him. Maybe they were just so tight knit that they were able to overlook it. I personally don't think I would, but to each their own.
2: Yeah, Abby, sorry, but if somebody's offering me $200,000 on your location, I'm giving it to them.
1: I'll tell you what, if I murdered someone, you could go ahead and turn me in for free. That's okay, I give you that.
0: At least split it, guys. Come on.
1: Authorities believe that he is alive, though, and most likely maybe living under the radar in a big city or maybe in a Mormon community. On the FBI list, they mentioned that they think he might be in Quebec or another French-speaking region as well, like I said.
2: This is going out on a limb here, but what if he had like made friends when he was on his mission for the Church of the Latter-day Saints and he had after he committed this crime, like moved to that area and started living with somebody that he had met that way, or even whoever he had met helped them start a new life.
1: Yeah, and you know, he had a lot of connections. And I think that's part of the reason they wanted to put him on the list is that he had such a means to get away. So just a couple things about him. He is 5 foot 10, approximately 170 pounds. He has blonde hair and green eyes. He's got about a medium build and a light complexion. He worked as a golf equipment importer at one point.
0: Are we talking importing through his pants? <laughs> or did he, have, did he have an actual equipment importing company?
1: I think that was one of his actual jobs at one point. He should be considered armed and extremely dangerous, so keep that in mind. If you have any information, you can submit a tip to a toll-free tip line at 1-800-CALL-FBI. Also, you can submit an anonymous tip online on the FBI Most Wanted site, and that's where all this information can be found, and we will also post some photos of him as well.
0: So we've noticed that this podcast is starting to get quite a few international listeners. So if any of you are in French-speaking countries or happen to see something suspicious now is your chance for a potential $200,000. So head to our social media and check out the photos and the information. And who knows, you might just know a thing.
1: You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at CrimeOverCoffeePod at Outlook.com. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash Erica dash Abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much.